someone that has a super positive attitude beforehand and understands the risks and has that nervous excitement is going to do so much better than someone that is super focused on negatives. Hey Refam, my name's Kate and welcome back to Keeping It Real, the podcast reclaiming scammy language. If the term holistic plastic surgery immediately sets off alarm bells, that's fair. Some practitioners use it as a way to describe what they do, which is almost always not plastic surgery. But holistic medicine as a practice is about considering the patient as a whole and working with different practitioners as a team to solve the condition, not just ease the symptoms. So in this episode, Richard and Kim discuss which parts of holistic medicine are key to recovery and good results and which ones you can probably skip. So I have a couple of things. They're not necessarily things we do, um, but just to get your kind of opinion on how they work and like how they can work well with what we do. Weight loss before surgery. It's obviously critical and we talk about this all the time, but to get your ideal weight before surgery is just so, so important for a number of reasons. First, it makes the surgery safer. Second, makes the anaesthetic safer. Third, it makes the results better. We understand it's difficult. Maintaining weight, losing weight is a challenge for everyone, but that, that is such an important part of our first consultation. It's even now becoming part of our pre-first uh, consultation because you know some people coming to a consultation consultation with such unrealistic expectations because they're so far off their goal weight. Um, we've, if we've said it once, we've said it a million times, surgery is not a substitute for weight loss. Um, and that's true. And like, I think as well, you know, in terms of holistic practices, working with other practitioners and, you know, if, if you do think you need to talk to a nutritionist, like, that is definitely a viable option. Mm. Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah always start – I think with if you've got a good GP and a good relationship with your GP, but there are specialist groups that have GPs and psychologists and nutritionists and surgeons, um, not plastic surgeons, usually bariatric type surgeons that can have a look at you know doing that holistic approach to weight loss, um, physiotherapists, personal trainers, all that. Um, that you don't need to come and see us for a consult for us to tell you that that's what you need. Mm -hmm. And it's not uncommon still to have patients that will come in and be like, yeah, I just wanted you to tell me how much weight I had to lose. I'm like, how much weight do you think you've got to lose? Mm. Five to ten. Okay, yeah. Well, I tend to agree. Like, you know, most people know, like, and they've listened to the podcast and they're, um, you know, don't waste a consultation with with me for me to tell you that go to an expert that's actually gonna help if you need help get their help first changing overall health habits and if you can think of examples uh well smoking is the obvious one um again absolute no-no for surgery um i think i've had a patient recently possibly was smoking up until the day of surgery but didn't let us know uh and has had the expected wound healing issues. Of the, exactly the same. <clears throat> Stopped beforehand, started straight afterwards. Yeah, I think so, there might have been a bit, so bit of that involved as well. As well. Um, so smoking, just again, bad for the anaesthetic. 
Uh, secondly, just terrible for wound healing. So it it, it affects the microcirculation. Um, and so when we're doing a, any surgery that we're doing, we're putting extra stress on the tissues and the blood supply. And so if you are then smoking and impacting that, then um, it, it's just everything makes it much harder to heal. Um, how long before? Like no one 100% knows. I generally say four to six weeks, um, but... Um, the, the longer, longer the, the better. better. <laughs> if, you, if you see so. us, if you see me this week for a consultation and you're thinking about having the having the surgery, just stop. Yeah. Like just don't wait until you've got a date and then subtract four weeks. Mm. Just stop now because, I mean, the health benefits are well and truly beyond just healing from our surgery. Mm. It's long-term heart disease. It's a number of cancers. It's peripheral vascular disease. It, it's and everything. Eczema. And it's every smoking's the worst, but it's all nicotine products as well. So now in my consult now, I am actually saying to patients, do you smoke, do you take any nicotine products? Because um, people that vape don't necessarily put themselves in a smoking category. Um, and there are also people that are habitual, it's less common, but um, the gum. And yeah, in fact, yeah. one of the surgeons I used to work with used to eat the, like chew the nicotine gum all day, every day. Um I don't know if either of you have ever tasted it. God, no. It is. I've never had a cigarette. Disgusting. Like that I wouldn't crazy. recommend it. That I've it never was. had a cigarette? No, I <laughs> no. absolutely that, Well, that's that. totally predictable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like, oh, you know, that was the way to get off it and the patches mm. and everything. That was so big when I was a kid. Mm, yeah. And now it's like. But I'm anything? like, I, I'm not anti those things if it can stop you from smoking. But then mm. you need to be off those things as well for your yeah, six right. weeks beforehand. What is um, microcirculation? They're, they're not vessels that you would see. Right. So they're in the, the – so it goes arteries, arterioles, capillaries. Oh, okay. So it's at the capillary level or oh. even sort of beyond. All right. Um, what do you think about vitamin supplements? Not anti them. Um, there's a lot of our patients have had bariatric surgery and so they are on prescribed vitamin supplements because their body doesn't absorb all of those um, supplements. So um, they're whilst they're over the counter, a lot of them that they're, they're more prescribed because they're being recommended that by their specialist. Um, a lot of people spend a lot of money on vitamins that they don't need. So if you're eating um, your five plus fruit and veg a day, um, and if you have a normal diet, then most humans are not needing extra supplements. Um, then there's also herbs and other non-prescribed tablets and medications that people can take, which generally we ask people to stop seven to ten days before their surgery because there's so many herbal medications and it's if something's not prescribed, then it's easier to just say stop them across the board than have a list because the list isn't always exhaustive. Um, a lot of the... Um, G, um, herbal things, ginseng, ginkgo, garlic. Um, garlic, they tend to cause bleeding. So we're not just – and it, it's the same uh. thing with the smoking is we don't just say we don't want you to take your things because we're anti-herbal mm. medications sure. for sure. Definitely. Yeah, it can potentially cause bleeding and mm. so we can't reverse that if you are bleeding excessively during your surgery. Um, and there's probably some that actually cause people to clot more, which – risks of um, 
DVT and things like that. So it's easier for women. And they can't possibly have done the studies to have the evidence on like every single random group. Um, And, you know, it's a short period of time. You can stop them for a couple of weeks before your surgery. Do you think it's like also why it's so important to just say every single medication you're on? Because I do Mm. think a lot of the time when they're like, what are you taking? Everyone's like, I'm not going to mention vitamin B12 or whatever. Like Mm. that's Mm. just a normal one. Um, And then like that obviously has bigger impacts. Yeah. And we've had a actually it's slight aside but over the counter medication. So a lot of patients have been making inquiries of late because hay fever is you know significant in Melbourne. Oh, I had a codral cold. Um the pharmacist said it's okay for my surgery to have that kind of medication. Yeah, absolutely. The medication itself is not going to stop you having the surgery. But why were you taking that medication? <laughs> if you have a cold, a cough, a cold, a runny yeah. nose, any of those things, then that is actually what's putting you at risk for your surgery because if you um, have irritable airways or if there's actually something, you know, if you're unwell, then that's why we need to defer your surgery because the anaesthetic is going to be unsafe. Scar management post-op is obviously something that we do. What do you think about the different scar management techniques and their efficacy? We're big advocates for taping. We recommend at least six weeks uh, for taping, and then we usually go to a silicon gel after that. But, um, you know, the longer you can put up with taping, and some people get obsessive about it and keep doing it for months and months <laughs> and months. Um, so obviously technique and suturing and all that, most important scar placement but then taping is probably the next big thing so pop, people often will say what about vitamin e what about rosehip oil what about this what about that taping like trumps all of them um and then you know various things with lasers and, and you know we've at different times used lasers i don't know that they improve the quality of the scar so much they maybe just can speed up taking out some of the redness um so then the next most important thing is time so, you know, scars can take 6, 12, 24 months to fully mature and get to be the best possible scars. So I'd say technique, taping, time, the three Ts. <laughs> what I also love about taping is that it's so simple and yeah. patients don't have to do it every day, once a week. And the tape, that micropore tape, not uncommonly you can leave it on for, you know, 10 days or so. Mm. Um, but then people feel like they're not doing anything yeah you right. are doing something you got tape on it you just don't need to do it every day yeah the thought that they're, if they're rubbing something on it they've got to be because they're doing more they're making yeah, it yeah. better it's it's not necessarily do you think there's any homeopathic aids for healing like arnica and I had a question mm. today someone had quite a lot of bruising after liposuction can i put arnica on it like Sure, I'm. I'm not sure there's any good evidence. I'm not anti arnica, <laughs> but I'm. About you. I'm not yes. saying every patient that has a bruise. I've got them all over me. Put mm. arnica on; it's going to make it better. Time, <laughs> I think, is probably yeah, right. the key. Yeah, the funniest is when they say, "Look, I've used the arnica for two weeks, and the bruise is gone." <laughs> <laughs> what about lymphatic drainage, or Ooh. I guess lymphatic massage? Yeah, because drainage would be different, wouldn't it? It's similar, but <clears throat> same, same, different. I've definitely had patients that have reported great results with having had lymphatic massage, um, particularly abdominoplasty. Um, uh, they like what what is lymphatic drainage, lymphatic massage? Um, it's a very very light touch 
movement across the skin is it's not deep. Oh, or it's obviously based on nothing. But mm. I assumed that's what the difference was that they were yeah. like. I, yeah, I, like, I thought they were like a rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're like. <laughs> You'd think that that's what's going to make the big difference. But yeah. I remember one of our original dermal therapists actually. She was like, "This is what I do," and it's like they like, basically like feather touch of the fingers. So it's super light. Oh, I'd hate so that. you kind of wonder how, <laughs> but. I absolutely have had patients that say they love it and it makes a big difference. Um, I've had other patients that have done it and gone, mm, don't really think it made much. So a bit of, um, you know, patient variability. Also, um, time is yeah, right. um, particularly abdominal plasty because we put a giant cart across the bottom of your tummy. That's the way that the fluid in the tissues naturally drains out to the lymphatics. Right. And so it has to find a new pathways a new way to drain which is going to take time um for most patients that are not too swollen and they're not too you know they're not wanting the next magic cure that's going to fix it mm. i just say them gently massage your own skin away from the scars to the way that the blood would be going really and i can people like i'm doing a detox and it's like that's what you're Kidneys and livers do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't have to stop yeah. eating. They do it all the time. <laughs> um, what about acupuncture? Never tried it. Um, I didn't uh, none of it like it. I haven't had patients ask so. about that post No, I haven't had patients ask about that. I've had lots of acupuncture. I don't think it makes any – I don't – Yeah, I'm not anti it. It makes you lie still for an hour because there's needles all over Ugh, your body. Torture. So, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I've done it twice and – the it's first hard. time I was like, and she was like, you're doing really well. Do you want to go a bit longer? And I was like, get oh. me out of yeah. here. I am in my own hell. Mm. I must say the last time I had some awe in my wrist and my hands. And so every time I moved, it was like stabbing me. Yeah. In my arm. What about working with other practitioners like GPs or bariatric surgeons? Yeah, common. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, for us, definitely um, bariatrics, maybe a little bit of crossover with ophthalmology, dermatology. Uh, when we're doing breast recon, certainly breast surgeons, uh, and going way back when we're in the um, doing public hospital work with orthopedic surgeons, uh, probably the thing I miss most about not being part of public hospitals was um, working with other specialties. Mm-hmm. Uh, and plastic surgery is kind of kind of unique because we we sort of ended up working with a lot of you know uh, ear, nose, and throat when there's head and neck cancer orthopedic surgeons with trauma, the breast surgeons with breast cancer. Uh, uh, and and we were often the the specialty called in when there was a problem. So um, fill a hole. Yeah. <laughs> so it was it was cardiothoracics. If the sternum broke down, you'd have to fill that in. Um, so um, that's sort of where plastic surgery is very useful. So it was kind of fun. Like I I really enjoyed that. I mean less so now, but Certainly a very big part of plastic surgery in general. And also non-doctor allied staff, um, physios, hand therapists. Like We both mm. used to do quite a lot of hand surgery, so had a lot to do with those um, people. Our, some of our patients still see a physio in hospital to help um, lo- lower body lift and tummy tucks sometimes um, to help get them up and about post-op. But um, mostly it's... Nurses that do yeah. all the <laughs> hard work for us well, in theatre and in the ward. What about working with psychologists and counsellors? Yeah, with the new um, APRA guidelines, uh, we are performing body dysmorphia screening on um, – we are doing it across mm-hmm. the board. So the guidelines are for cosmetic surgery, but we are screening all of our patients for that. Um, 
it's interesting the the scores that are coming through. So um, we're doing it obviously for breast reductions as well, which is generally 99.99% of the time done for medical reasons. But obviously we're still wanting to give our patients a great outcome, a nice aesthetic cosmetic result, but the indication to do the surgery is medical. But um, some of those patients are scoring astronomically high on the questionnaire and you sit and you spend an hour with them and I'm like this this patient does not have a psychological condition that is related to their large breasts um and so it's a really crude screening tool um certainly any patient where where and we've got a lot of experience and skills with talking to patients and understanding their motivations for surgery and um being able to pick up those ones that have significant psychological distress, which is infinitely small, I believe, even with doing this questionnaire, um, and then referring those um, patients to psychologist. Um, a lot of these people already have a psychologist or a psychiatrist. It's not uncommon now. And so anyone that already has their person that they are comfortable with talking about whatever they're pre-existing other psychological conditions are I am encouraging them to then also be you know I'm considering having the surgery as well and talking that through what about patients who had like severe anxiety or anything you know like maybe like the thought of going under therapy I mean (laughs) the thought of going into theater like just causes this immense anxiety like is it or is it common to kind of work if they have a psychologist in that regard um no I mean I mean, they often will discuss it with them. Um, but I had, I had a patient, I think maybe three or four weeks ago, who was very – she had two two major concerns. One was waking up in the middle of the operation and the other, ironically, was not waking up at all. Yeah, he's going to please some people. <laughs> what is it? Uh, fortunately, neither happened. So she did wake up and but at the right time. Um, that's not really uncommon uh, and – um, yeah, we'd encourage if they've if they've already got someone helping them with that. Um, we'd encourage them to s- ask them for advice and guidance on on you know maybe meditation and things like that to help with that. And it's really normal for every single patient yeah. to be excited but nervous and anxious on the day of surgery. And someone I just went to mark up um, this week. She was sitting in the holding bay and it was at a, one of the busier hospitals that I work at. So there's so much noise. There's probably five or six other patients all getting checked in at the same time. Like it's quite a noisy area. And she's here, and she was sitting there and she's like, and I could tell she was a bit anxious. She goes, I'm just sitting here doing my box breathing. And I was like, that's awesome. Keep doing that. <laughs> that's been, and five she, things yeah, I can she, see, four things I can touch. <laughs> Do you think getting the mind and body working together before surgery Helps with recovery. 100%. 100%. 100, 100 and more than. Someone that has a super positive attitude beforehand and understands the risks and has that nervous excitement um, or, you know, nervous looking forward to their procedure is going to do so much better than someone that is super focused on negatives and afterwards is kind of like every little thing 
it, yeah, we like we get sometimes inquiries afterwards. Someone's got like they've got a headache at two weeks post op. It's like, is it is this from the anesthetic or is this from the this or this from that to related to surgery? It's like um, you've got a headache. You don't have any redness. You don't have a temperature. So, oh yeah, I get headaches all the time. And it's like, <laughs> but just because they've had an operation, looking for put everything down to being that. So. If you liked this episode of Keeping It Real, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, why don't you have a flick through our past episodes? We'd love to hear requests for future topics, so send your suggestions through to us on IG at Replastic Surgery. That's all for today, and we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.